Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. So a quick disclaimer, I'm going to be moving rather quickly this morning through our text because there is a lot to cover and uh, want to make sure we use our time uh, well as we dive into God's word. Um, also, it's a little bit of a sensitive topic, so um, we uh, it's I don't go into like explicit detail, but we do talk about sexual immorality and what that means. And so if you do need to drop your child at children's ministry, you can do that uh, at this time. I'm going to talk about Disney for about three minutes so you have about that amount of time to take your kids to children's ministry. Um, so uh, I took we took our kids to uh, Disney World about three years ago, and it's very different than when I was uh, a kid. And I went when I think I went I went when I was five, and I went when I was twelve. And the experience now is just so amazing. The way the the graphics and the animatronics and and all the things that they do, it's almost unreal as you're going through and like how is the how are these things possible? And uh, one of the things that you know was was so incredible about Disney was just the entertainment factor is constant. So like even when you're like eating a corn dog standing outside, there is there are people walking up to you in costume, in Stormtrooper outfits and Kylo Ren outfits, and they're, they're entertaining you as you're standing there eating a corn dog on, on a bench, you know? So you're like constantly entertained, and it's, and it's quite incredible the things that they do at Disney. It's, it's just almost unreal. And so what, what I, I call it the Disney effect is when we brought our kids back home uh, and we, I think it was probably a week later, we were over in Evansville and we went to the mall over there and we went to the arcade and my kids were bored. They were bored because you come away from Disney and it's like, well, what is, what is this rinky-dink ar- arcade they got in here? I mean, what kind of graphics are these, you know? And so it's just kind of funny, but but what's, what's insane about the Disney effect, the Disney experience is the way you, it, it is a smoke screen. It is an invisibility cloak over reality. Like it, it just, it really is. It is, it is a, a, a fake false world that's been created so that we forget about the stresses, the craziness of real life. And so in much the same way, this is the case with false teaching in, uh, in, in, our, in our world today. False teaching says that life is about right now, as much pleasure as we can possibly have. It's all about our prosperity. It's all about our bank accounts. It's all about, hey, make this life amazing, and God wants you to have an amazing life. That's what false teaching teaches. And so today in the church at Thyatira, this is what they were facing. They were facing a false message that was leading them down a path that, sure, it offered temporary physical pleasure, but ultimately it leads to separation from God and death eternal. And so this is what the church is facing. Now, the main point today is that Jesus will protect his church and all who hold fast to him 
will conquer. Jesus will protect his church and all who hold fast to him will conquer. So this is John writing the letter of Revelation to the churches, to the seven churches that we've been walking through lately. But John received this message through a vision given by Jesus Christ himself. And so he wrote this down. He wrote these letters to the church. And specifically today, we're looking at the church that is in a city called Thyatira. Now, this city was actually one of the least important, least known, and least remarkable of the cities in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was considered to be an expendable uh, military post. It was just kind of insignificant. So the Roman Empire did not put a lot of money and energy and prosperity into the city because it was just a military outpost. It was there. If it got taken, no big deal. We didn't put much of our resources there anyway. And so this is a church that is seemingly insignificant as well in an insignificant city. So one point to note is what this tells us is that whether you are a church of 10 people or a church of 10,000 people, and no matter where you are located, even an insignificant city, you matter to Christ. The church matters to Christ, even if it is, seems like an insignificant place. Now, the, the thing we do know about the church at Thyatira is Acts chapter 16, there's a woman named Lydia who is actually uh, presented the gospel by Paul and she gets saved. And then what many assume happens is she goes back to Thyatira and she's from there. And so she goes back to Thyatira and she actually shares the gospel. And this is kind of the movement of the gospel in the city of Thyatira that came through this woman, Lydia. And one of the more significant things to note about this city is, you know, there's lots of different Greek gods during this time that the the Greco-Roman people would worship. Well, the two specifics that were more prominent in the city of Thyatira, and this is going to become important a little bit later, is they worshiped the god Apollos, the so-called son of Zeus, and Diana, the fertility goddess. Okay, so these are going to become super important in just a minute, but we're going to keep moving. So point number one. Jesus sees and knows his church. Jesus sees and knows his church. Verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So as we've said before, this angel that is spoken of here in the text is not most likely an actual angel, but rather it is the word, the Greek word for angel is actually messenger. So this is most likely someone who is part of the church at Thyatira who goes back and forth to bring letters to the church from John. And so this angel brings a letter to the church at Thyatira, and Jesus begins by calling himself the Son of God. And this is significant because he is establishing his credentials. He's establishing his authority to speak to the church and to be their Lord and their King. And so he's doing this, and he's saying, I'm the Son of God. This is specific because the people in the community that surrounded the church, they believed and worshipped the son of Zeus. And so Jesus does this on purpose. He's saying this on purpose because he's saying that son of Zeus is nothing. It is powerless. It is meaningless. It is an idol. But me, I am the son of the living and active God. 
that I am powerful over all things. And he's so powerful and so mighty and all-knowing and all-seeing that he sees all. His eyes like a flame of fire sees all. We're gonna talk about what the flame of fire means in a minute. But his feet are burnished bronze. Now, when the scriptures talk about feet often, it, it is attached to activity, going going and doing something. So for example, the scriptures talk about how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. In other words, those are feet that are going, actively sharing the good news of the gospel with the lost. And so in the same way, Jesus is saying, I am a God who sees, but I'm also a God who acts. I am involved in creation. I see with my eyes what's going on and I act within creation. I am a God who sees and knows and goes in creation. Now, this is important for the church to know because what he does here is he gives them a compliment. He says, I see what you're doing well. I know what you're doing well. I see your service. I see your faith. I see your love. I see that you are patiently enduring. Now, these are really important. And these are, this is a compliment to the church. Look at what we're doing well. We, we are clearly in the community. We have a good reputation in the community. We're serving the lost. We're loving the lost. We are, have a good reputation of being that loving church that people can count on when there's a need. So he's complimenting them, but then he says, and he changes gears, and this is great. So the, the good news for the church is that God doesn't just see the bad within the church, but he sees all the great things. He sees our strengths that we have. And all churches should continuously, the leadership of churches should continuously evaluate what they do well and what they don't do well. But in this case, he gives them a compliment, but he also shows them the pitfall. The pitfall of loving and serving and being a helper, that's great, and that's a great quality for you to have, and you have such a great reputation. But the problem is, he says in verse 20, but I have this against you, because what he's revealing to them is, well, you guys are so loving and you're so patient with these, all that's going on within the church and all that's going on with the city and the community and the worship of these gods and this false teaching that's happening within the church. You're so patient and loving, and yet you do not stand on your convictions. He's saying you're so loving and so patient, but it's, it's a pitfall that you're spineless you're cowards that are not standing up for the truth of the gospel. And we know that they aren't because he says this. So point number two, the church must identify false teaching and beware of slipping into worldliness. The church must identify false teaching and beware of slipping into worldliness. So verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So God, Jesus brings this, this indictment to the church. He says, I have this against you. There is a black spot on you. There is a cancer that is growing from within the church. He's saying, this is not an external threat. This is an internal threat. And not only do I have this against you, but you are tolerating this behavior, this teaching within your church. He is rebuking them because to tolerate means to see something and not act on it. To see something happening within the church and not doing something about it. Notice this continued theme of being spineless. 
You're not standing up against this false teaching. You tolerate this. Now notice the stark contrast. I want to point to this a couple times throughout the message is that while this is our temptation to maintain a reputation with our friends and and our family and the people around us not standing for truth, we often will see things and we won't do anything about it. Whereas Jesus is the exact opposite. He has eyes that sees and he has feet burnished with bronze. When he sees, he acts. When he sees sin, his wrath is sure to come. And so in this case, they were seeing this woman who's labeled Jezebel. This is the name that Jesus uses. Now, we are not to assume this is her actual name. Nobody, unless it was an ironic thing, would name their daughter Jezebel. The name Jezebel is used as a way to wake the church up because the real Jezebel was in 1 Kings chapter 16. You can go back and read that story. It's a fascinating story. But to just give a little snapshot of this, she was the wife of Ahab and she was an enemy of Israel. In fact, she instigated the persecution of Israel. She encouraged them and set up idols for them to worship and taught them how to worship those idols and encouraged them to engage in lewd sexual behavior to worship those gods, the Baals and the Ashtoreths. So if you think about it, I'm sure the pastors of this church in Thyatira at some point taught on 1 Kings chapter 16. So when they stood up and taught on this, they're like, look at this woman, Jezebel, what an evil, evil woman. She is the enemy of God's people. Look at what she has done. And so for Jesus to say and label this woman a Jezebel was an immediate, their ears perked up and they went, whoa, that is a harsh, that is a harsh criticism of this woman that we have allowed to teach in our church. And so Jesus is waking them up to a reality of who this woman is. She is not just a wayward soul. She is giving herself authority. She labeled herself a prophetess. She was giving herself authority to teach in the church and the leadership of the church was allowing it to happen. They were just watching as she was leading people astray and specifically to sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. And so this Jezebel woman was not only teaching, but look at the word that's used in the scriptures. She was seducing others. And what we find out later is there were others that were committing adultery with her. So she was seducing them with her looks and teaching them that it was okay to do so. And so here's what, here's what, um, what this food sacrifice to idols means. During this time, food sacrifice to idols was kind of a debate within the church. So it was a debate whether or not you should eat food sacrificed to idols. And, and many of the Christians back then said, well, it's not a big deal because we don't believe those idols are real. They're just stone and, 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 and metal. That's all they are, stone and metal. They don't matter. There's no worshiping nothing so it, so it doesn't matter if we eat this food. And then other Christians will say, well, yeah, but if you eat the food, then you're kind of condoning the worship of these idols. So there was some debate, okay? There was some fair debate on this. And so what was happening was the food was actually, the, I don't know if y'all, any of y'all go through D.A.R.E. in uh, elementary school, middle school? Okay, so yeah. So D.A.R.E. was like the, they taught us this word. They're like the gateway drug, okay? So that's what the food sacrifice to idol was, was the gateway drug into worse behavior. 
So in other words, this food sacrifice to idols, it was, it was basically the pagans of this time in Thyatira would gather for these meals and they would eat the food and then they would start, they would begin drinking alcohol until the point that everybody was drunk and then they would engage in these mass orgies together where they were sleeping with everybody and they were pushing the bounds of sexual pleasure. And so this was what this woman was encouraging them to do. Go eat the food, it's not a big deal. You don't believe those idols are real. Go, go engage in a little bit of sexual activity. It'll keep your reputation good among the community. And that's exactly why they were doing it. Because during this time in Thyatira, we have no evidence that supports that Christians were being killed. But what we do have evidence of is that if they did not engage in this behavior with the community members, they would be ostracized. They would be hated. They would lose business. Their reputations would be hurt. Because people would say, don't you want our land to be fertile? Don't you want these gods to bless us? Why would you not engage in this behavior? This is what worships and pleases them. And so the Christians were compromising. They were giving in to, so that they, their lives would be more comfortable. But of course, isn't it this small part of false teaching here that says, hey, unashamed, un, uninhibited sexual behavior just feels good. And, and why would God want to keep you from something so good? Why would he want to keep that, that thing that, that looks so pleasurable, so desirable? Why would he want to keep that from you? Isn't that the exact thing that was communicated in Genesis chapter 3? When Satan tempts Adam and Eve, he says, why does God want to withhold this pleasing thing from you? And it was through the act of eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that all sin entered the world and destroyed everything. In much the same way, the message of Satan and the message of false teachers, it never changes. It is God is denying you of pleasure. He's keeping a good gift from you, but that is not the God that we worship. Yes, he withholds things that are sinful and wrong because at the end of the day, they lead us, they lead our souls to be desolate like a desert. These sexual pleasures, they seem to, to fill us today, but our cup just runs empty the next day. And so what Jesus is saying, be warned. These teachings are false. You have tolerated it, but it cannot be tolerated any longer. He loves his church too much to watch it fall into and spiral into this kind of sinful behavior. So we must be warned today. I, I was uh, just started actually watching the first Lord of the Rings movie with my oldest son. And, um, and as I was thinking on, you know, the Lord of the Rings series later on, uh, in the Lord of the Rings series, there's this, this part of the journey where, you know, Frodo and Sam, if you've never watched it, feel free to read the books. This is more in the book than the movies, but uh, there's this, this like stone path that's kind of hard to see, but it's, it's there, and they have to walk through this forest that's really, really dangerous, and the idea is, is stay, the, the instruction is stay on this path. If you stray off any direction of this path, you will begin to hallucinate, and there's all these, there's this mystical, magical aspect of the forest that that leads you to think you're going the right path, but you're actually headed towards your death. Well, that is exactly 
This is exactly what's being taught here is, is you have to stay the course. There's a path that Christ has laid out for you and he doesn't lay it out for you to say, hey, don't have fun, don't have a good time, don't enjoy life. That's not why that path is there. It's to keep us from death. It's to keep us from straying into our sin and, and, and losing our path because, set, because if we're not killing sin, sin is killing us. And so the question, and obviously, I mean, I, I, this may not need to be stated, but, but like there's no false teachers, hopefully, God willing, there's no false teachers that ever stand on this stage and are not currently standing on the stage teaching you. And I hope, I hope you would tell us if there's a false teacher inviting you into their living room and teaching you something contrary to God's word. We're not dealing with that on the level this church was, but I would say that each one of us have false teachers in our lives. And it is a person, every single one of us do this, we consume. We consume every single day on our phone, on our TVs, on our laptops. In our reading, in our podcasts, we consume information. The big question is how much influence do those things have over you? And I would say each one of us needs to evaluate who are the people that we see as, as models of how to live our life. What are the TV shows that tempt us to sin? What are the quote unquote gateway drugs on our phones that lead us into pornography? What are the things that tell us it's okay to do this, this, and this? And all three of those things are anti what Christ would have for you. And I would venture to say that the things we consume, we have a standard for ourselves, what is okay for us to consume. I would guess that God's standard for us is way stricter than the standard we set for ourselves. And so I would say this, and, and, and I'm, being, I'm getting into the weeds here because I think it's, it's a little bit different today as we struggle with these false messages. We need to be careful the allowances we make, even on things like the stand-up comedians we listen to. We need to be warned. Those things influence us. Just like oil and water, when you put oil and water in a basin and they separate and one is, is bigger than the other or, or smaller than the other, that's, that's the truth of God's word is the water and then the rest of the messages we consume is the oil. How much of that balance is in your life right now? Is your consumption purely worldliness and it's not being offset by the truth of God's word? We must be consumers of truth, consumers of Jesus Christ, and we need to be harsh on the things that we put before our eyes. And, and even in the, same, in the same way, we may not even realize in our workplaces that we are being influenced by the group of people, the gossip, the slander, the, the lewd jokes, the, the way that people in the workplace tend to objectify women and objectify sex in general. Those things influence us. And we do not need to be spineless like the, the church at Thyatira. We need to stand for holiness. And we need to create a standard for ourselves and evaluate who is speaking into our lives on a regular basis. Now we have to keep moving because I'm running out of time. Verse 21, we're gonna readdress this again because it's mentioned twice, but he says, I gave her time, talking about Jezebel, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So be warned, 
Point number three, be warned, God loves his church and will crush any that threaten us. Be warned, God loves his church and will crush any that threaten us. Verse 18, we're gonna go back up real quick to the beginning, and he says, I'll skip past the first part, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Okay, so we are going to see this enacted in verse 22. So what what the 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 picture of his eyes being like fire, it means that Jesus, yes, sees all as God the Son. He is, sees all, but not only that, his eyes are holy eyes. So that means he is a holy God. If you see any picture of flames used in Scripture, whether that's to describe hell or to describe God when he appears to the Israelites in pillars of fire, this is to represent God's holiness because fire purifies. It's the reason why if you drink water out of a, a river, you can get really, really sick if you don't put it in boiling water and put fire underneath it to purify the water in much the same way. God is going to, at the end of all things, he is going to purify all sin that he has seen throughout all creation. But not only that, he has feet that are burnished bronze, meaning he is a warrior that is going to act upon his holy eyes. And he will bring his judgment on all who are found to be lost in their sins or enemies of the church. And then he says in verse 22, and we're gonna see him acting upon what he has seen, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Jesus is acting upon his holy character there's this, there's this sense of sobering reality that God's holy judgment, it is coming. Whether we like it, whether we believe it, it is coming. It is a reality. And, and look at what Jesus does for the prophetess and her followers. Look at what he does twice. He says, I gave her time to repent. And look at verse 22. He says, unless they repent of her works. He, he says, I'm going to give them great tribulation. She'll be on her sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I'm gonna throw them into great tribulation. So God is showing something in his character here alongside his holiness. See, if, if God was only holy, then these false teachers, he has every right to snuff them out of existence in a moment. And there are some that do have that. If we look at Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. So he has every right according to his character. The God of the universe, the standard of perfection and holiness, he has every right to snuff sinners out of existence. But instead, twice, he says, I'm giving her time to repent. Then he says, he even says, even more so in his grace and mercy, he says, I'm actually going to make her sick. I'm gonna bring great tribulation upon them so they will see the error in their ways and they repent from their sins. And folks, this is showing God's mercy and grace to lost sinners. That even the enemy of the church is being given the opportunity to turn from her sins and experience salvation in Jesus Christ. 
And some of us in this room right now, God has given you time over and over and over and over again so that you can get to this moment sitting in this room right now where he is, he is speaking to you from God's word saying, today, repent from your sins and turn to Christ for salvation. Today is the day where you recognize there is a sobering judgment that God's holiness is coming and that Christ is our only hope of salvation from that judgment. He died on the cross for our sins, taking that wrath for us and all who place their faith in him and turn from their sins, putting away an old life and following Christ will be saved. And today could be that day for you. Some of you have been giving in to the sexual temptation that has been before you. You've been addicted to pornography for years. And today is the day to say, Christ, I'm ready to turn from that sin and be saved. But the good news for the church, and he says, and this is sobering, yes, but it also is this, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, what does this mean? This means that those who are enemies of the church, the false teachers, they must beware because they have set themselves in a place of influence and authority that God's just wrath is coming for all of their evil works. So the enemy of the church will be destroyed. And that is good news for all of us who are followers of Jesus to know that the tempter who has tempted you over and over and over again and has, has been the, the giver of spiritual warfare in your life, he will be destroyed by Jesus, the warrior, and all who are found with him. Now, when this says that her children will be killed, he's not talking about her blood relative children. Jesus is talking about all those who are her closest followers. So in much the same way that she will be destroyed along with her followers unless they repent, so also Satan and all of his children and his followers will be destroyed in the end. And then point number four, to conquer, we must hold fast to Christ. I'm not gonna read all of this. We don't have time. I wish we did. Um, there's so much here, but verse 24 but to the rest of you. So notice there's a change here. There's a shift in audience. He's given his warning, his, the scary warning to those that are following her false teaching. And now he turns to a different group of people within the church. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold, notice the word hold, this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over all nations. So notice, he is speaking to the genuine follower of Jesus who has said no to this false teaching. See, he says, don't hold on to that, hold on to me. But he says, you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. And, and this is, we could get into parsing this out, but essentially he's saying, this prophetess was claiming that she had special knowledge. She, she had special information to share with the church. It was so deep that, that it, was, it was, you know, some new way of thinking. But in reality, these deep things were just things of Satan. And he said, you didn't take on that. You walked away from it. You stood firm. And now the only thing you have to do in the midst of this is to hold fast what you have. In other words, you, we have this day, 
today, we have three things. We have Christ, we have his word, and we have community. And Jesus is saying, as you weather this storm, hold fast to my word, which is the truth that will guide you. Hold fast to me. I've got you. Remain with me and I will remain with you. And then he says, and you have community, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, why does he change his tone? What is this tone shift? Because here's something that we often don't say about temptation. Something that we often don't say about temptation is when you say no to temptation, it is suffering. It's difficult. It hurts. To say yes to the things of Jesus is hard. It's not an easy path. It's not an easy road. It hurts. It stings. It hurts your reputation with your family and your friends when you say no to the things of this world and say yes to the things of Jesus. It is difficult. You end up suffering more following Christ than you will any other path that you take. And so what Jesus is saying, he's, he's talking about the anchor, the foundation of our faith. I, I know Jameis referenced this movie not too long ago, so I'm gonna kind of steal it from him. But you know, there was this movie called, called Twister, and it was all about tornadoes and storm chasers and all of this. And the two main characters in this movie, if, you, if you've never seen it, spoiler alert, but um, it's been out for like 25 years. But, uh, but if you go watch the end of the movie, the two main characters, they're in the middle of this barn and the F5 tornado is about to come over and destroy this barn. And he smartly pulls his belt off and he wraps it around this metal pipe. And then they both wrap their arms in the, met, or in the belt and like hold on tight to this belt that apparently was like, you know, rated for F5 tornadoes at Menards. Um, and so, and so, listen, just bear with me. It, it breaks down at some point. Um, so uh, so they, they're holding on to it. And as this tornado is coming over the top, it's, it's pulling them up in the air and they're just holding on for dear life. Folks, following Christ is that. Like, like it is that, it's tumultuous, it's difficult. The, the world does not accept us because we have al we've aligned ourselves with Jesus. And it is going to come that when you say no to your flesh, it hurts. It doesn't feel good, it's difficult. But Christ says, hold on to me because one day, one day we will be conquerors. When I come back, I'm gonna bring you home. And there will be no more temptation. In fact, you will wield a sword with me as we destroy Satan and his demons. And that day is coming. The day when you will no longer ache for things, long for things, long for drugs and alcohol. There's coming a day when you won't long for those things again because you'll have all you need in Christ. But today, Christ says, I have a better way for you. Say no to ungodliness and say yes to me. So to sum up, as we close, there are some of us in this room today that for the first time, you've seen God's holiness. You've seen that you are guilty in your sin and that today is the day for the first time you need to repent and turn to Jesus. Place your faith in Christ and be saved. And then there's some of you in this room that maybe you are a follower of Christ, you know that, and you've allowed influences in your life to continue to draw you back to your fleshly desires. And you just need to repent today. You need to confess your sins. 
to Christ and be forgiven. And then for others of you, you just need to be told, hold on to Jesus, hold on to his word. One day, all of this will be over. You will weather this storm because your anchor is Jesus Christ and nothing else. So today, we're gonna have a ministry team members that'll be up front. I'll be standing down front. We'll have ministry team members in the back corners. And today, I think the ministry team is really important for a lot of you. Some of you need to go to them and you need to confess your sin. You need to confess your pornography. Maybe you're having an an emotional affair with someone at work and you need to go share that with them and confess that to them. Maybe for some of you, you need to share where where you have been really wrestling with temptation and it's hurting, it's difficult, and you need help, you need community. It's one of the reasons we have community groups and D groups is so that you can continuously walk together. That's part of this, hold on to what you have. Do it together, you're not in this alone. Go confess your sins, share your difficulties with the ministry team, let them pray for you and guide you towards Christian community. So as the band comes up, I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now that you would give us all clarity in your Holy Spirit, give us discernment in your Holy Spirit on what are these voices that influence us? What are the things we consume that leads us down paths of sin, temptation, whether that's to hate someone else or enrages us over something, Lord God, I I pray that you would give us hearts that would desire your word, God, let us take a a thousand looks at you and the gospel and 10 looks at the world. Father, I pray that you would burden someone in this room to confess their sins to you, to a leader, and that you would bring repentance to our church. Lord, that that would be a marker of our church and life in this church is that we are a people who daily repent of our sins and turn away from worldliness. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.